the Demon Dust Podcast, dedicated to the His Dark Materials, BBC, HBO television series, based on the works of Philip Pullman, is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II, powered by the South Congress Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Demon Dust Podcast. This is your recap for His Dark Materials Season 2, Episode 2, The Cave. I'm Travis Bryant, Rich Fan, joining the party once again. Rich, what's happening? Not much. Looking forward to talking about this episode and finding out where people can buy tickets to sit on the magical bench. So, because of how this series is being released you know we get it in the states eight days after it airs in the uk we get not spoiled but sometimes you you see things and we knew a while ago that the bench made its first appearance uh and if you're not a book reader um the bench just the bench it's just yeah it's just it's just the bench if you're not if you don't if you don't know uh it won't be a thing until you know a it's year okay. or two from now when season three is presumably airing um hopefully thumbs cro- or fingers crossed <laughs> uh, thumbs crossed too i guess uh yeah so the bench everybody was excited about the bench uh it's iconic in his dark materials lore. Um, it was a gorgeous scene. Just, just to, just to give it its props. I mean, the botanical gardens lived up to, to its, to its name. It was very, very green, very flowery, flowery, very lush, and, and pretty, very pretty. Um, but let's. Uh, how did we get to the bench? Well, I was just saying, looking forward to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Overall, before we get into the episode specifically, overall, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle? Oh, thumbs up. I thought this was a great episode, particularly because we got to see uh, our world Mm -hmm. and how his dark materials is, in my opinion, one of the few uh, high fantasy slash science fiction that the age that it was written actually allowed it to catch up allowed our world to catch up to it because if you remember at the time it was written they didn't have cell phones they didn't have smartphones they didn't have computers that could handle dark matter and all of the materials that he was theorizing Hmm. and now we do yeah well they theoretically they did because in the book they they explained it in vague terms oh it's a computer with the TV show, and if they had a movie sequel, you would have just been able to see it. And if the movie would have come out in 96 when the book was written, or uh, 2000, I guess, book two came out, it, it, you know, I think they would have visually gotten it across if a show or movie, you know, came out in 2000 when at the time. I, I, 
I okay. So my thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. It's like thumbs yeah. in the middle, edging towards thumbs up because the the second half of the episode was really, really good. All my yeah. problems came with the the first half. The Will's grandparents stuff and Friday talked me off a ledge about that as far as like, well, they already uh, they already um, she explained it about, you know, that something was already revealed so they needed a they needed a, a way to do it. Yeah, I get it. I get what she was saying. Yeah, they needed a, a, a not a foil, but they needed a vehicle. That's it. Uh, so, okay. Oh, she called me a whiner. I'm going back to, through our conversation. <laughs> she, she, so, crap. Well, well, while you're looking for yeah, that, yeah. one thing I wanted to talk about with regard to what you were saying with the technology is, yes, sure, that's what I mean. What, regardless of when it would have been filmed, there would have been something that fit. But even now, having these smartphones and then having a girl with a pop-up hand thing answer and questions better than my smartphone is like that's the, the that that eliminates any doubt will has which we'll get into obviously but when you know when he has that throwaway line of well i you know i can get answers from this here and he just pops out his like iphone whatever crap mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. and he's like it's not a big deal and she's like she, no, just, no, no. she was like mm-hmm, nice she didn't yeah. even look at the thing uh Right. She's just like, why do you keep looking at it? And he told her, you know, I could. he didn't give her a very interesting answer. He no. says, you can phone people, so you can call people, and it gives you information, like the news. Like, well, that's not how I would explain a smartphone. I'd be like, well, it has every answer you could possibly want. Or... It certainly can put you on the path to find the the answer to anything you want, basically. Like, that's more like, oh, really? Not, oh, it tells you the news? <laughs> First, what, what 16-year-old is like, it tells you the news? They're like, no, I get to, like, send, you know, do yeah. freaky stuff on the right, phone right. with yeah, my girlfriend say, like, and have privacy and do make funny videos or do, uh, yeah, it, yeah. Okay, so her her response to 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 Will having grandparents is uh, it's not that dire. They had to replace the scenes where Will is looking through the library microfiche. He's in the library researching uh, stuff in right. the book, and she said last season he already looked up his dad on the internet. He was watching the BBC clips of his dad right. being interviewed. So they had to reveal something new here. They also had to de- demonstrate that they hated uh, Elaine, his mother. So. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and, and again, with the technology, the microfiche would have been something that while you still have that in libraries, because he did, like she said, Friday's always on this stuff. Well, there's easier okay. ways, and no 16-year-olds yeah. going to the library to search through, unless he exhausts all his info on the internet, and he, and he got, figures, oh, crap, I gotta go find some actual physical newspaper, or like the, the printout, or the microfiche equivalent. Uh, right. Because if this was like, st- like that's the thing. It's really interesting because a lot of these shows, they were built with the lens of the person who wrote it at the time. So a lot of the things like Stand by Me, it, the Stephen King sagas, a cup or anything that's in that ilk of coming of age, it's usually set in the sixties, seventies, eighties. So the microfiche, microfilm, going to the library, getting the newspaper articles, 
makes sense. But with this, with the ability and the transportability of the series, you have this guy. And even if he did need newspaper articles, he would have gone on like he'd go to the library and the librarian would bring up like uh, EBSCO host or something like that to let him look at, hey, which PDF do you need? And so so it would never be that harried scene of like Ghostbusters where they're looking to find like, oh, where's this thing before the like the, the you know, the ghost shows up in the library. Uh, you know, those sorts of things are lost, but they find great ways to like make it modern and i didn't mind the grandparents i know they were a new addition well Um, let me let me jump in let me jump in with the grandparents so as i'm looking for my the thing about it so friday just sent me a a thing a a, a, a paragraph from the subtle knife Uh, there was something about it that made him grit his teeth and he didn't know why until suddenly he remembered an occasion when he was very young his mother had taken him to a house, not unlike not unlike this. They had dressed in their best clothes and had to be on his best behavior. And an old man and woman had made his mother cry, and they'd left the house, and she was still crying. Mm. Like, oh yeah, grandparents, Will, uh, John Perry's, her her yeah. her in laws. So that Probably is not that is not completely out of left field com- uh, creative license that that they took which is fine I, I acknowledge that that has to be done that they can't all the time stick to the book or things need to be updated or modernized in in various ways or some things might be problematic that you go we can't show this yeah. <laughs> you know not that Pullman has that issue uh, but just various reasons things might get uh, might get changed so Starting the episode proper, we get our recap. They show Will and Lyra meeting in Chittagatze and discovering all the things uh, Chittagatze has to offer. Mainly, it's run by children because all the adults have have fleed, flown, fled, fled. There you go. Thank you. Words. Uh, And the remaining adults are have been eaten by the specters and basically are soulless husks uh, walking around with walking around with their gray skin and their weird dead eyes uh, we get a recap on Ruta 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 uh, Ruta Scotty saving Katia the witch from further torture and then killing the cardinal or stabbing the cardinal and the Rev- and, and Coulter alluding that she would finish him off and take that sin and let it be her sin. And, um, yeah, Lyra, you know, they they reiterated Will being a murderer, so you know that's going to come back up in this, in this episode. And, uh, yeah. And the episode starts with Lyra and Will in their little bunk. They're, they're, upper floor room that they're staying in in some random uh, house or apartment in Chittagatze. Uh They're making plans to go through the window, go to Will's world, and he needs to see his mom's lawyer. And he's going to take her with you, and he says, I'll take you as far as Broad. I guess that's like a street or something. Yeah. And uh, he's going to go see the lawyer. And And they make their way his his phone's dead. They do make a point of uh, letting you know that his f- phone finally is running out of battery, which is makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, Lyra's trying on clothes. She needs an outfit. Will is letting her know she can't. She wants to wear a cape. She wants to wear this big stupid hat. And he's just trying to let her know that she has to blend in. No capes. No big stupid hats. It's and Pan has to get into the bag, which in in this instance I get like when they're traveling and running sure having Pan in the backpack might not be the most comfortable thing for Pan but later on when they're in the museum or wherever they were in public and Pan wanted to see and he's putting them he's putting their lives and Jeopardy people are noticing him poking his stupid little ermine head out of her backpack and it's just like, why doesn't he form into a moth or butterfly or a cricket and hang out in her hair? Like they, yeah. uh, the 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 show seemed to be making it harder on themselves. Like you have all the answers you need. The book made when those situations. Like that's the good thing about being a child in this in from Lyra's world is your demon can do whatever the heck it wants. Right. It needs to. It needs to swim, to turn into a fish, and it needs to do something. It can fly and give her directions from bird's eye view. It, it, <laughs> they were, yeah. And I don't know if it's just being a book reader or if it's just. I think anybody watching this show and would go, wait, Pan can turn into anything. The demons can turn into anything before they settle, and he has to hide in a backpack when he could just hide. Remember when she was in. In uh, Bolvang, or not in Bolvanger, wherever the bear, wherever Ulfur uh, Ragnarsson's little palace was, he sa- she said, "Pan, stay hidden." He stayed mm-hmm. hidden in her winter coat, like stay hidden in my pocket. You don't have to put the guy in a backpack, and, and she's running across the city like a mad woman. My homeboys get He's jostled around all of that thing. Okay, okay, stay on sort of on yeah. track here um, so there Will in the book really is a has this power and it's the only way it can be described because it, he has this innate ability to melt into the background Yeah, there's a part where later in, in, in book two where Will might have saved the day or did something that drew a lot of attention to him. And everybody's patting him on the back like, way to go, kid. You did good. You did good. And he just felt uncomfortable. And then he, like, consciously went into uninteresting mode. Like, he hunched his shoulders. He made his face different. And people just stopped caring about it. He just all of a sudden wasn't interesting. That's not something that you can do. No. Unless, you know, you have some kind of, you know, we read all these uh, lit RPGs and, and magic si- different magic systems. People have aura capabilities, you know, and people with higher charismas and things like that make people around them react a certain way. He has something of this sort. And it's unexplained, but, or at least directly, but it certainly comes across. But that's what he's good at, and he's trying to impart some of that onto her. But she's, uh, you know, she's Lyra, and she's about to go on to an in, on, in an, on an adventure to another world. Yeah. You know, she's like, I, I should wear a cape because that's the the occasion calls for a cape. 
but yeah. she basically dressed for those of you like watching this or haven't watched it yet she basically dressed like uh clint eastwood in the good the bad and the ugly well she and, she tried <laughs> yeah and he was like it. what are you doing like and the hat wasn't a sombrero but it no, but, but it, it was, was like as, the as big as approximation. a sombrero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like a, 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 a fancy lady sun hat. You know, not as fancy as like uh, Belmont's Peaks or or the Kentucky Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. Yeah. Uh, so Will explains to her, "Hey, you have to be careful. We're going to my world. You got to blend in." What's the first thing she does? She runs through the window. Doesn't wait for him. She runs through the window, runs into the middle of the street, and gets clipped by a car, and you know, almost, you know, got. Could you imagine the way this whole series would have been ended if she just Just got boom? (laughs) It's over. Story over. over. (laughs) Three chapters in the book too. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so it was pretty true to the book, except Boreal in the in the show is watching them as they make because you know that's his window he knows about the window um we still haven't cleared it up as far as how the windows work because he there are two different windows in oxford because remember his window took him to from his oxford to will's oxford will found a window that took him from his Oxford to Chittagatze. Right. Uh, Boreal tried to go to Chittagatze, um, <laughs> you know, with the specters that they that they keep talking about. He he'd have an issue. So I don't right. know if he's if he tried. Uh, that's always been kind of unexplained. Like if Bo- if if Ezreal went through and went through ch- to Chittagatze, how did he make it make it through and? Without getting himself, uh, you know, chittagatseed, chittagatseed, chitted, yeah, nah, nah, yeah, 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 There know. you go, there you go. That's a good one. You know, you, don't, you ain't trying to get yatsied out here in these <laughs> these Italian streets. That's the Rona. I got the yatsied. <laughs> uh, so that's just one of those unexplained things that allows fan the fandom to to speculate and always have conversation. Uh, but again, she runs in, almost gets hit by a car. Now she's limping, you know, because she fell and uh, hurt herself after getting clipped by a car. She's a bit overwhelmed. She's in, uh, they're just in the in the city, in Oxford or wherever. And this is where Pan is poking his head out of the backpack instead of just forming into a to to a butterfly and like affixing himself to her hair. Uh, but there are a few people that notice Pan and just their their eyes bug out a little bit and they don't know what that is. They just assume it's a pet, obviously. Um, so what does she do after two minutes ago? She 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 made an impulsive, stupid decision to to run into the window or through the window into a world that she has no, and then she got hit by a car almost. What what is the first thing she does after learning that lesson? Runs through the city unaccompanied, again jostling Pan in her backpack because she's like, 
Jordan College is right around the corner. And he's like, wait, no, hey. And she just takes off and starts running through various buildings and alleyways. And so this is an issue I had with the first half of this show. They just are making Lyra such an idiot. Like, I don't remember her being, maybe I'm just... idealizing her about the book maybe but i don't remember her being so stupid but that's part that's that honestly she to me she was in the book but i didn't see it as stupid she was just innocent because she didn't know but she just got hit by a car it wasn't like that was yesterday it just happened her knee her knee should still be throbbing and she shouldn't take you know she's it's all the adrenaline i guess and that's getting her to run without the limp but And then she's she's like, and this is another show Travis and I have talked about for years in our friendship. This is like the that that final part of the 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 uh, the, the uh, promo for sliders, the first slide, the end of the first uh, arc where he goes home and he's like going home and he's oh, and he thinks it's, the, he thinks it's his place, yeah, and then. But it was his place because he, he, he they just finally uh, fixed the, the fence. He's like, well, in my world, this fence would be squeaky, and it's not squeaky, so clearly. Oh, right. And he jumped and back in instead of uh, just going, hey, it's close like enough. In, like in The Simpsons right. when he kept switch, doing the crushing uh, <laughs> stuff when he, when he went back yeah. in time. And he got to one, and it was like, eh, close enough. Yeah, so with her, she's like, oh, I'm here. I'm going back to And just the excitement of seeing her people, yeah. or is there a, a corollary of her people here? Yeah. And then and no. just... No, after running through the, some building and up an alleyway and over a courtyard, she comes to a big old construction site. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Jordan College is not, is gone, or not here. This isn't our world. Like, doy. Yeah, that just wasn't... Uh, this didn't show her in the best light, and I was just... Yeah, little uh, little upset. Then we move on to the Cardinals' funeral, mm. which was a grand, you know, fancy religious pious event where he's got the gla- the, the the fancy casket with the with the emblem, uh, and you know, total sausage fest. And then Mrs. Coulter, <laughs> like every scene that she's in the magisterium with, it's just a bunch of old dudes and Mrs. Coulter. And, uh, but McPhail, Mc, father McPhail as the acting Cardinal, uh, says, you know, we have a duty to, uh, to make the witches pay. And uh, we're gonna bring the full might of the magisterium, and it's called it's a call for strong, decisive leadership. And the authority has blessed me with the clarity of purpose. So he's just giving a big old rousing speech. That again, if this was in in a in a RPG fantasy world, would have buffed everybody in that room with some kind of like three-hour inspiration buff. You know, like plus. Eight, <laughs> plus <laughs> Plus five, pious uh, righteousness. For the yeah, next, I mean, for the next three hours, you like, will be able to. They're stealing will, our seed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was later with the one with the yeah. with the dude. Yeah. For the next three hours, you will persecute the non-believers much more efficiently. Your smiting is up to a level five. <laughs> uh, and we get uh, Lyra finally coming to uh, realization that this isn't her world. Uh, they're like hanging out in like. A park area or something 
Uh, Will bandages up uh, Lyra's knee. He uh, brings out his cell phone, and Lyra then asks, you know, what's that about? You're always looking at it. And that's when he gives the, uh, you know, it gives me the new, you know, I get my new BBC alerts. Because, you know, I'm 16 and want to keep up on uh, what's happening in Buckingham Palace. You know, Ooh, the new parliament. What happened with the Queen? Uh-oh. New, new parliament is in session. Are they going to, you know, pass that, you know, legislation? So he gets, he basically buys himself a battery pack and char- to charge up his phone. And Lyra breaks the, uh, when, it, when he's talking about how good his phone is or like what it can do, she tells him about the alethiometer. She's like, it told me about you. Told me you were a murderer. Mm. And he's like, wait, what? And he's like, no, 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 no. The good kind, like Yorick. <laughs> and he's like, don't use that word. And then... Uh, like, you ain't know what I have to do? You, yeah. You ain't been in these streets? You don't, know, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know my life? And so his phone starts... Uh, you know, he's getting all of his messages. His phone's beeping, beeping, beeping. And he says, it's, his, it's my mom. She's fine. She's just worried. Uh, but I have to go. You know, I got to go and take care of these things I got to take care of. Stay out of trouble, okay? Like, now Will's a total dumbass. Like, in the... Okay, I don't want to... So, I'm watching this season one with Natalie. So, I got my girlfriend into this show. And we're watching season one. So, literally, every five minutes, I pause it and I go, In the, in the book? Oh, boy. Right? I'm the worst. Absolutely. But, in the book... They do separate. He's got to go see his lawyer. She wants to go find her scholar. But they come up with a coherent, somewhat coherent plan. Not, I got to go running away. Hey, don't get into trouble. Meet me at five in the botanical garden. See ya. Bye. Like, that's not how you, you know, like the guy, the kid that was a half hour ago so worried about her blending in and knowing how impulsive and whatever you want to call her that innocent that she is I call her dumbass he's going to just leave her in the middle of the street in a strange city in a strange world with no real instruction except meet me at the botanical gardens at five okay so that was I gotta gotta admit that part I saw okay that's a step too far but up until that point remember if we look back at what happened in season two episode one she gave him the silent treatment and treated him like crap. So in that time, yeah, he's still stressed out. He's still doing, but he's still dealing with his mom and stuff first. Yeah. And they don't have a relationship yet where there would be that trust. So I would, and remember, they're both kids. Mm-hmm. So he is still a little bit like, I'm, I, I'm a responsible adult for my mom, but you're another kid. You well, can figure this out. And Pan even said after he runs off, you shouldn't have called him a murderer. Like they're right, acknowledging his hot. feelings. He was still hot. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I get that, but <laughs> he, and she's like, I'm just telling them the truth. Like she's that person. She's like, I just said what everybody in the room was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> but not even trying to be mean. She's just like, I, she just don't know. I guess that's the innocent yeah. part. Like, no, 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 no. The good kind of murderer. Like there is, like you can't just spring that on somebody. Like, oh yeah, by the way, I know you. Uh, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. <laughs> um. So she, uh, 
she looks around and she sees an exhibit or some advertisements for an an exhibit at a museum story of the north saving the arctic and so obviously that uh, arouses some interest in her she snatches a pamphlet and takes off to uh, the museum and it's just your typical kind of uh, you know Pitt Rivers Museum Is it, I wonder yeah. if that's a real place let me see let me pause it where it says uh, anthropology and world archaeology okay so it's specifically a uh, yeah because you go in and there's dinosaur there's like a a T-Rex, you know, bones, skeleton, uh, hanging out. And again, t- typical museum. If you're familiar with, uh, the natural science museum in Philadelphia or, uh, I forget what the one in New York is called, not the Met. That's the art museum, but yeah, just your, your museum with artifacts and dinosaur bones and archeology span stuff. Um, so just to let you know, that was actually two separate, Museums in London, and well, I'm sorry, like in Oxfordshire. Film. In Oxfordshire, uh, it was the uh, the Pitt Rivers Museum, as mm-hmm. it saw, and then also the Museum of Natural History. They're both ah. on Parks Road. So they filmed in both places, is what you're saying? Yep. Cool. And then I wonder the, what decided uh, what made them give Pitts the 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 credit and not the other one. Wonder if like Pitts was like, hey, we'll cut that check, fam. I think it was just a matter of making it one location. Just to, to no, show no, no. I get that, breadth. but what? But the as far as like showing Pitt Museum, why not the other one? Why didn't they say they were at the other one? If they used, if they filmed them both, what made them sh- show the Pitt Museum logo and stuff? That's all. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I wish they had. Like, I, I, I really like that this site I have called the Cinemaholic gives mm-hmm. you. Like the locations, but they don't explain them. Like they also, for some of the chase scenes in the in the show, jump to another town entirely for those streets. <laughs> wow, Bristol, and so I'm like, wait, what? That's interesting. Yeah, I just like I don't, you know, I'm not a movie pr- uh, production or technical guy in uh, any means, but I just wonder what goes into. I'm sure it's like zoning laws, like you just can't film certain stuff in certain yeah. places or whatever. And they're like, okay. Or maybe well. in their schedule, they wouldn't have the ability to get the permit or, to do it. Or the scene is set up in this, per- this town is just perfect for how the director wants to shoot the scene. Or it has the perfect street set you know, yeah. alleyways set up or Cause, whatever. Because everything for this Oxford is all in Oxford. So... Uh, nothing they didn't have to move anywhere whereas where they had to move to like any of the other locations they had to go back to um wales to the states they set up yeah 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 yeah. hmm okay uh so yeah so lyra's just you know walking around the damn pit museum and she's she finally uh gets a little quiet area she looks at the, the alethiometer and she says, uh, you know, where can I find my scholar? And it tells her to uh, where to go and to look for the door with the mountain on it. And it also tells her, uh, don't, no, not to lie to the scholar. And then Pan's like, how are you going to manage that? <laughs> the little cute little face. like, uh, And also focus on the boy and help him find his father. So all 
right from the book. And she's like, wait, I thought he was supposed to be helping us. And Pan's like, we don't got time. Let's find the scholar first. So she immediately sets off to find her scholar. And I hate to harp on, you know, Lyra again, but like a dumbass. She's just, you know, walking around like she didn't learn her lesson from Trollison when she's walking around in Trollison with Farda Corum. Just, just like it's a cell phone. Like she's just scrolling through Twitter. And she, she's just walking around. And then she bumps into Boreal. And uh, in, in the book, she was. Boreal bumped into her. Like she was in reading the thing or looking at. Uh, she was In the book, she was looking at some skulls. And the alethiometer told her those skulls were 30,000 years old. But the label said they were like eight or ten and Boreal was like mm, you like skulls and did his whole creepy like in, in the book he was way creepier and uh, they're definitely not going to make uh, what's his face handsome Boreal <laughs> you know a creep and a you know just a, mm. remember when she was in his car and had to climb up across him and yeah. <sighs> uh, that was some yeah. special which we'll probably get of- next week strokes. but I bet they do it in a way less creep because Boreal just doesn't get off, give off those uh, vibes remember what he said to F- Fra Pavel ratty your filthy proclivities last year in the Latin season one when he blackmailed Fra Pavel to make him read the alethiometer and ask him a, a question that, that Boreal wanted and he was like, if you don't do it for me, I'm going to expose your filthy proclivities. So they were alluding to some, you know, perversions and some gross stuff with him. Uh, so then they, I guess they could, but I don't think they're going to turn around and have him be like a, a creepy perv either. Um, but she runs into Boreal while she's reading the alethiometer or, or whatever she thought she was doing. Because you, she can't read the alethiometer while she walks. So what was she doing? I, I think they may have had her do a walk and read. No, she can't. Like we just know that she can't. Like, like she in could, the she's, book. No, no, no. I'm not talking about in the book. Every time on the show, she has to stop. Just now, just before she runs into Boreal, she stopped, found a spot, put her coat, down, her backpack down, and opened it, and had to set her mind and do the whole thing. Can't do that while you're walking and a especially in the museum with other people around. So she's just, it's just, uh, it's just, um, I don't know the term for it, plot device. It's just a thing to have her so she can run into Boreal and have to go <laughs> and awkwardly try to hide this obvious thing. Yeah, she, Machina, yeah. This thing that she's trying to hide. Uh, and, and then she pretends that she's uh, looking at this, uh, looking at the skull uh, uh, display and then Boreal like yes, you know has, strikes up a conversation with her in the skulls to this day yeah phrenology trepanning and she, he's like oh, I'm, just, I'm just throwing I'm just throwing at this point I was just throwing random words okay he's like how do you know about that he's like it says it right there on the on the display yeah. the label he is creepy I mean I know what you said about the car but he is showing up as like the the ran he would be the special episode dude I don't know if this is true because in his conversation when he was stalking Elaine and looking at Elaine and Will's house and he made that when he made his introduction it was like 
I'm looking for John, and we were in the Marines back in the day. But I think this was the first time we've seen him smile. He gives Lyra like a phony little, you know, hey, little girl, kind of smile. And then he hands her his his card and is like, if you ever want to continue this conversation... Again, yeah, yeah, she's she's like fourteen bucks, and she gives like, he gives her his card, and she's like, mm-hmm, okay, sure, pal. <laughs> and then we get Will creeping up in the neighborhood with his hoodie on, you know, being as conspicuous as as or he was trying to be inconspicuous, but he was the complete opposite. So he creeps and looks in the window of his, you know boxing coach gym teacher's house where he left his mom and uh he texts her and she tells uh the teacher like wills you, you were right will's fine he's going to contact me soon and then uh will takes off once confirming his mom was okay he uh he goes presumably to the lawyer's office then we get the Witch Island, their little uh, habitat. Ruta Scotty and Serafina Peckler are having a heated argument, continuing their argument from the last episode when when Serafina was gathering all the witches and Lee Scoresby was there and Ruta showed up and they had some heated words and then Ruta went off to save the uh, save Katya. She, they're both. It's this. this it's that thing of they're both right, because Ruta mm-hmm. absolutely was right to save or to to save Katya from exposing and uh, and and Ruta lied also because she told Serafina, I kept them from finding out the name of the prophecy of the child of the prophecy. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, I was about to say, what child, how many other children they know? Because she said, she what's her all. name? And right. Katya was like, Lyra! Lyra! And then she held up the thing, was like threatening to stab her, and was like, tell me the rest. And then Ruta came in. But they right. know the name. So Ruta... I, mean, I mean, it could be like Lyra Smith. It don't have to be Balakwa. <laughs> no, he didn't. Lyra Jackson from Crenshaw. Oh, my God. No, it's Lyra Collingsworth of the co- the main <laughs> Collingsworths. And they maybe yeah. in her world, Lyra is like Mary. Well, where you just now, everybody's everybody's got that name. There are gonna be a bunch of you know have, have been a bunch of kids born in the last six months with the name Lyra. Yeah, how many Balakwas are out in this out in this joint? So so Ruta so Ruta told a little bit of a, a fib, unless she thinks. No, she specifically said, "I say I kept them from knowing the name of the child of the prophecy," which is just blatantly untrue. Uh, but they are both kind of right. Serafina is like, you know, we don't need to run off and do things willy nilly and half cocked. And Rude is like, well, we can't do nothing. We got to unite and strike back. And I cut the head off, and we're gonna. And Root and and Seraphine is like, yeah, we know with this tit for tat revenge game, like where that gets us. Like, you know, witches has been around for a long time. Church been around for a long time. This story's been told a hundred times over. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a clash of ideology. It's just your classic clash of 
we're, we both have the right idea. We just have very different ways of... Uh, and the means. Yeah, of getting to the end. Uh, Serafina did did mention that it feels like Lyra is behind a veil. So I'm not sure if that just means because she's in a different world, like she stepped through a couple of windows and she's just maybe losing her, her Wi-Fi signal. It's just weaker. But she basically told Ruta, we gotta find her because we don't, and they do. It's gonna be trouble. Uh, Lyra does find St. Peter's College, which the uh, alethiometer... Uh, guided her to and she's just looking for the door with the mountain and it's a volcano it's Mount uh, it's the famous Japanese volcano I think one of Kilimanjaro not the, is Kilimanjaro in Asia or Africa I, sh- I should know these things but it's like your classic <laughs> volcano mountain it's tip Tanzania what is Kilimanjaro yeah. Oh, I was just completely <laughs> wrong. Um, now, here is where the episode starts to pick up. Because... So when you ask me who my favorite character is... Mm-hmm. Like when they do... Like I've asked, who's your favorite character not named Lyra or Lee or Yorick? Because those are... And probably will... There's just too many characters that you can pick from. Don't pick from the big four main, super popular, charismatic characters that get a ton of lines. Like, be creative and find a little, you know, like even Father McPhail or <laughs> Father Gomez was your favorite. Like, okay, at least it's different. But Mary Malone is that for me. Like, she is a gem from the moment she's introduced to the moment the story ends. She's the best. She's the best. She's the best. And she's been cast absolutely perfectly. Because there was rumors that the that, that they were casting this really young looking woman. Uh she looked to be in maybe her late twenties at the oldest. And I was just saying, for the story of Mary Malone, who was a nun who left her vocation, if it's called that, or left her calling, and then decided to be a uh, 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 not an astrophysicist, maybe, but a scientist, a physicist? Like, you yeah. don't do all that by 29. Like, that's not something that's just... <laughs> you don't have two full careers or a career, and then you're in the middle of your second career, and you're not 30. Uh, so, casting a Four, you know, mid forties, maybe you know, just a, a woman that looks experienced, like she's lived some damn life. It was perfect, and she played the role exquisitely. Uh, from her humoring Lyra at the beginning of this scene, and Lyra just kind of bulldozing her, like, "Yeah, I come in my world, the magisterium and dust, and just using all these." Her- like, wait, you mean your school, right? She's like, "No, my world." And just kind of blitzing her with all this information because the alethiometer told her, don't lie. So what's Lyra do? Tell, give up all of the secrets <laughs> because there's no in between with her. Apparently right. it's either I'm using you to get, you know, as I'm telling stories and spinning fantasies or 
I'm telling you my blood type and <laughs> my first kiss and you know my, my mother's maiden name, my, my password, my pin number to my last four of my socials right? eight six two three. <laughs> um, so Mary Malone goes from flummoxed that this young girl is showing up with all these, you know fantastical stories to concerned because she tells her about Roger and her friend and to and her father to to super interested because she then tells her because she she says tell me about your work and she's like all right all right I'll answer some questions if you then answer some of mine so she tells Lyra some basic info about dark matter and what she's studying and how it's the the stuff that they think it's the stuff that's between the stars and holds the universe together and we can't see it with the on typical light spectrum or with light sources that we know so it's hard to study and she's like talking about the computer the the cave she called it um that amplifies the signal and can interact with it and how she set her mind a certain way. Oh, matter of fact, it wasn't. She was like, it, she couldn't get the thing. She couldn't communicate with it until she just was, had the nodes on her, you know, had, she was connected, but was doing something else. And she had a random thought and the dark matter computer reacted. And she was like, you have to set your mind in the way of expectation without expectation. Like the way she explained it, it was only Lyra could understand. And Lyra was like, that's dust. Like, oh my God. And she's like, what's dust? You she's just like, what, explained what? dust. Uh, so before, actually before that conversation really, really got going, uh, we, 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 uh, we jumped back to Lyra's world, it's after no, it's the it's after the funeral, like the proper like funeral funeral and on to like uh like some kind of like council meeting so Father McPhail is the interim cardinal but there's this guy Father Graves who's a fire and brimstone kind of religious guy uh, uh, he said, you know, the when when Doctor Lansalius, who this was another part I did not like because it's whole cloth. They're making it up out of whole cloth, and there's just no basis uh, for it. And I'm just not whatever I said earlier. Uh, creative license is okay, but hmm. So they basically have a slim trial for Dr. Lance alias who's a who's a uh, go-between for the witches and humans he's the son of a witch but men can't be witches and there apparently are no warlocks in this right. in this world uh, so the men are just normal normal men they might have some innate uh, you know uh, uh, specialness to them but they can't do anything they don't have what we would call powers or abilities I don't think he's just an, uh, he he says I'm a peace envoy appointed by Queen Seraphine Pecola to reaffirm the mutual tolerance uh, between our cultures uh, and they apologize we're sorry for the Cardinal's death but that witch acted alone um, 
Father McPhail says, we, we have believed, grounds to believe you're a spy. And then Father Graves gets up and asks, can I question the prisoner? And I was like, whoa, wait, what? I thought he was, uh, like, it was just a little on peace envoy or something. <laughs> he called him a prisoner, and that's how he knew. Like, uh-oh. And even the council meeting or the board, like, kind of like, mm, did he call him a prisoner? Oh, my goodness. Um, and he goes off on this fire and bre- oh, his spider, his demon's a spider, so you know he's a creep. Uh, all the, f- it seems a theme that all the religious guys have insects of some sort, yeah. even though spiders and arachnid, I don't at me, don't email me, I get that. But the tall guy, the tall priest has like a beetle. I think the Cardinal Sturrock or whatever had like some kind of beetly, waspy kind of flying insect. Uh, Father McPhail has a salamander of some sort. So that's, but it's a on your shoulder crawling kind of demon. And now this Graves guy has a, has a pretty intimidating spider. I'm not even going to lie. It's not a big old hairy tarantula. But you learn not to be afraid of tarantulas. They're just big and scary looking. But those skinny ones that are like he has with the big bulbous butt, those are the ones that like probably can eat like a small bird. Probably got some wild venom coursing through. But he he go like Father Graves goes on this fire and brimstone screed about witches and how they steal a man's seed with their soft supple seductions like. Do you need a minute, Father? Maybe five. Yeah, <laughs> you know that you, was up there with the Chappelle show yeah. when they had the uh, <laughs> when they switched up the life of the black dude who was like getting a call and the white guy was getting arrested for like insider trading yeah, and they're like yeah, yeah. no knock bust in shooting yeah. his dog. I plead like, the fifth. Lips. Like, was, <laughs> no, I dark. took it that scene that specifically was Uncle Ruckus when he was like in the park playing checkers with granddad and he was like going off on about how about how supple white women were and he starts sweating and granddad goes hey ruckus you need a minute or maybe five (laughs) so yeah they seduce men with their soft supple deceitful ways and steal our seed and um father mcphail came to a decision at the end and sentenced Dr. Lance Alias to eight years hard labor. Eight years hard labor. Yep. So I, I almost want to reread Serpentine I, I, again because Lyra goes in that and Serpentine goes to visit. She goes back to Trollison for the first time since you know since uh, since book the end of book one, and she's. It's a year after Lyra's Oxford, so she's about 17. So it's not eight years, so it doesn't match up. So he doesn't... I mean, they don't have to go by. Maybe he got good behavior. He got, he got paroled after three or four years? Yeah. <laughs> but I that doesn't hold up. Back. Again, it's, it's, it's a whole cloth kind of, they came up with this, and yeah, I, I don't know. But they... They cart him off to uh, to eight years hard labor, presumably. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Will then shows up at the lawyer, 
at the lawyer's office. Uh, pretty fancy uh, building and office. Her office is huge and really like just really nice. I can't imagine what the rent is on this uh, law firm. So that's a big and powerful law firm. But you just have to assume that by the aesthetic. Uh, Will's like cuts to the chase. I, I, I'm coming here for the trust. He shows her the letter and is like, uh, my, my dad says he set some kind of thing up. I just need the, the trust. And she's like, Will, you're a minor. I can't turn over trust money to you. Then she gets a packet delivered to her, and she's like, maybe you can ask one of the other trust holders. Uh, and it's the grandparents. It is John Perry's, Will's father's parents. And, uh, yeah, he, he gives her, she gives him their address. He completely had no idea that he had grandparents that lived in Oxford. Like, What? I have grandparents that live in Oxford? Yeah, they've been right up the street the whole time. The whole time. But I mean, given the way it was in the book, you could believe the the fractious relationship that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and especially Elaine's uh, condition, state, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Like you, you, you would get how that alone would, would, would get people to not respect you in a way a human being should be respected or treated so yeah you can get the the lawyer said there was some kind of dispute and you could imagine that it and maybe and because they're playing it different from the book and Will is biracial he has a black mom maybe that had something to do with it that's not stated but yes not a far stretch it wasn't just her mental health right it's not a stretch that these stodgy uptight wealthy white folks in Oxford England or yeah in Oxford have some kind of uh, home of the comma don't (laughs) yeah don't appreciate that they're one and only grandsons you know this brown curly head kid so Uh, but again that was not stated that's me making probably a fair assess, uh, assessment <laughs> uh, back to back to uh, St. Peter's College in Mary's office uh, Mary then promises that's when she's like I promise to, to answer questions if you uh, answer some in mind uh, in return uh, the, the, the cookies she tried to give Lyra were really stale so that was funny again I think straight from the book then Lyra starts asking her about dust and Dr. Malone starts talking about dark matter. And that's when she gets into sort of giving her a rough explanation, an easy layman's kind of explanation of what it is. Uh, holds together all the known bits of the the universe. She asks Lyra, do you study physics? <laughs> Lyra's like, sort of. <laughs> like, well, I'm sure a physics professor, scholar, has taught me some stuff in my years at George College, so she's probably corrected some way mm-hmm. uh, she tells her about the the uh, machine that they built to amplify it, the cave uh, the computer and um, and uh, and she just what she's like what we discovered was actually pretty extraordinary and so she, she attaches the nodes and the computer to all kinds of stuff an apple a rock a chess piece and she starts noticing that all the things that were man-made or crafted by human hands, 
this stuff the the dark matter responded um to it like gangbusters especially her I Ching box so either human workmanship or human contact uh, gave it the uh gave it the uh you like know response. the response and she put it on herself and she said it wasn't until I was lost in thought that, uh, that I get the thing to react and she explained it was because of how she uh, the shadow particles is what she, uh, Mary Malone calls them she explains that they're, she, they have to be conscious that's the only way and she's like I don't know how else to put it uh, you can't see them unless you expect to unless you put your mind in a certain state uh, do you know the poet Keats? He has a phrase, negative capability. Uh, you have to hold your mind in a state of expectation. And the whole time she's explaining, Lyra's like, eyes are getting bigger, like, and her shoulders are raising up, like, <gasps> you know, and she's like, continues her thought. Like, they, they flock to your thoughts, like, uh, like birds. And she's like, that's dust. And Mary's like, Lyra, how do you know about my work? And she's like, none of it's published. And that's when Lyra breaks out the alethiometer and is like, this told me. She's like, wow, is that some kind of game? <laughs> Lyra was like, this ain't no game. <laughs> like She took offense to, to that. And she told her, like, it tells the truth, and I think it uses dust to whatever, whatever. Uh, and that's how it works. And uh, she's like, ask me something that I shouldn't know. And Mary's like, what did I do before I became a scientist? And she's like, oh, you were a nun. And then you stopped believing, so you left. <laughs> She's like, Excuse me? She's like, wait a second. That's probably not a thing. She is. You you realize, especially in the book, that she's not. She's a scientist now. She she's probably not eager to tell people she was, you know, not only a religious person but a freaking nun. You don't just become a nun on a whim or, you know, just as a thing to do yeah. and and then on the other side you don't unbecome a nun on a way right. and Lyra goes when she explains that but you stop believing and you left she goes they'd never let you do that in my world and Mary Malone sits down like what how did you do that how did you know these things and she's like well uh, like you, it's like you said I put my mind in sort of a in-between state and the meanings just come to me she's like that's how you knew about my research she's like it told me you tell me about dust it's original sin she's like original sin I, I, I became a physicist so I wouldn't have to think about things like that she's like well you need to like Lyra's like super stern with her she's like in my world the magisterium wants to destroy it she's like, who's the magisterium they control everything they think dust is evil so she's not giving her concise oh they're the church that control no they, she's just vague they're, they control everything they're, they're evil and Mary's like people are, are afraid of sometimes the things they don't understand I know dark matter sounds not, uh, ominous but in my experience it's beautiful um, and then that's when Lyra's like can I see your cave computer please <laughs> <laughs> and uh Mary's like, oh boy, am I going to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do this. 
And then we switch to uh, Will arriving at the Perry Estate. Estate. It's just a nice big house. It's not like they live in a, a mansion. Maybe to him. Actually, their apartment is pretty sweet. Yeah, I remember commenting about that in uh, in, in season one. Uh, the this, the mantle has a picture of John Perry holding Will as a baby. Uh, they sit down. She gives him some tea. Annabelle is the grandma's name. And the whole time, the granddad isn't saying anything, and he's just looking at Will like, mm, little black bastard. <laughs> and the grandma's doing all the all the all the talk. Will's like, why don't I know you? She's like. There was some harsh words said, and you know she's just kind of being vague. After your father disappeared, uh, uh, you know things weren't great, and then then Will brings up, "I just need help with your trust, with this with this trust stuff," and then the granddad goes, "For heaven's sake, this is I told you he was just here about some money." She's like, "Graham." <laughs> So Graham and Annabelle Perry. Uh, next scene, the, the, the granddad sneaks off to call the the uh, like a buster. Yeah, like a total buster. He goes and narks and calls the cop guy that that Boreal Boreal has, and he's like, "You were right. Um, you were right. The kid came here, uh, and the cop guy tells him, keep him there. I'm on my way.'" So Will's continuing this conversation with the grandma in the living room, and she's like, "We can help you. You know, you can stay here if you like." And he asks, "Well, can my mom stay?" And the grandma's like, "Well, sounds like she needs some professional help." He's like, "How do you know that?" And she looks like, "Oh crap, I gave something away." Yep. And then he, Will goes, "My mom's fine." And then she goes, "Well, she's not, is she, Will?" And neither are you. So Will knows the jig is up. She's like, your parents exchange letters, and the cops think they that it's important. If you just cooperate with them, uh, then he purposefully spills his tea, and she goes to clean it up, and he t- he takes off. I mean, bolts, grabs his backpack, and hauls ass back to, uh, I guess, the, the botanical gardens. And he made the right move because he knew the jig was up, and he followed his gut. Stupid ass grandma giving away all the plan. <laughs> I wish they'd had Graham reacting. Annabelle, for heaven's sake! Good <laughs> lord, Annabelle! I leave you for five minutes. Uh, next, we got uh, we're back in St. Peter's College with the cave. So it's a full on Friday's. Like, how do you know that was a fancy dark matter computer? I was like, because I have eyes, woman. <laughs> Like, did you see the thing? It looked like, you know, that was a... No wonder later Oliver is talking about funding and does Lyra have an extra spare million dollars in her pocket that she can that they can help out with? Because you see the equipment and stuff that they're working with and you realize, oh, this ain't cheap at all. This is some real deal research. And when you're talking about dark matter, it's like, yeah, you can't do that on a limited budget. Uh, so she hooks Lyra up. And and Lyra goes into her. She even uses her. She even positions her hands the way she she uh, she does the alethiometer, and she sets her mind and puts on a show. 
and Mary Malone is like, what the, how the, who the, and she just starts giving away, like, oh, yeah, it's telling me you, you're important and you have a role to play. <laughs> and Mary's like, me? What? what? Uh, in, in, in the book, it was a little different. In the book, she gets the shadow particles, the dust, to communicate in words. Here, she just, it communicates in the pictures of the alethiometer. Still amazing, certainly, and especially to Mary Malone, that never saw it form things. It just was like kind of like snow, you know, or, or static, just kind of waving around. Uh, or the equalizer, in a sense, like, a, you know, when the bass or the treble goes up and down. But Lyra was getting it to form into the yin and yang and all the different, pic- however many 30-something pictures that are on the uh, lithiometer and Mary was just beyond herself and her reaction was just just perfect because you know she couldn't get it to do 1% of what Lyra got it to do and then here here, here comes this little girl straps these things on and then boop bop bang it's uh it's telling us this whole story but in the book she got it to to come to to form words and Lyra asked questions are you dust yes are you conscious? Yes. Are you this? Yes. Did it? And it was like, whoa, whoa. And Mary's like, holy crap. But this was just as impactful. It, it, it was a little, it, it, you know, she had to trust Lyra because Lyra is telling the story of the symbols. Like to Mary, they're just symbols. Lyra's telling, Lyra obviously knows the meaning and the deeper meanings to each symbol. So she's telling the story of the symbols. She's like, yeah, you have a part to do, to play yourself, but you have to make the connections yourself. Uh, Something about your Chinese box. She's like, you mean my I Ching? And time. And they show a a sand. What do they call it, Rich? With the, What's that? The sand hourglass? The hourglass, yes. And then it's probably it was her like a lot. It was the alethiometer telling her, or I'm sorry, the shadow particles telling her. You know, alarm five o'clock botanical gardens, and she's like, "Oh crap, I gotta go." She's like, "What? What? <laughs> could, could could you come back tomorrow?" She's like, "Yeah, sure," and just left Mary in like a stoop, like just standing there, jaw agape. Uh, Will's at the Botanical Gardens with his hoodie on, looking super suspicious. Come on, Lyra, hurry up. Where are you? So Lyra's obviously taking off to go meet him. Uh, back to the Magisterium. Father McPhail and uh, and M- Mrs. Coulter are walking, having a bit of a conversation. Uh, 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 Mrs. Coulter basically suggests we got he has to go a step further because uh, what's his face Gr- father graves is fire and brimstone you heard lance alias we know where the witches are vulnerable we just have to show uh some strength beat him to it him being graves graves is a man of big words be a man of big actions she told him uh, the, and then the cardinal ship is yours so apparently the cardinal is the highest biggest deal it's not like it is in our world where the cardinal answers to the where there are like what four cardinals or probably more than that 
they're a bunch of Cardinals. Yeah, there's a bunch. I was going to say four seems low. Yeah, they're a bunch of Cardinals and then the Pope. <clears throat> so, Lyra meets Will at the the Botanical Gardens. He's super on edge and he's like, we got to go now. And she's like, what? Like, I just told you, I found dust and this, that, and the third. He's like, we didn't come here to dick around with your stuff. He's basically don't care about what she's, her mission. He's completely uh, absorbed in, and understandably, and she hasn't shared anything that he has, that she's, her, anything about her mission. And he's just like, whatever, I sat around here waiting for you, what am I doing here? I came back here to make sure my mom was okay, not to mess around with you. It's like, because you need my help. She's like, your help with what? It's like, to find your father. It's like, what do you know about my father? Still, Lyra has to explain about the alethiometer. Then they sit at their bench. <laughs> they go to the Botanical Gardens and sit at their bench. And she explains what the alethiometer does. And he assure, she assures him that his father is indeed alive. And the thing doesn't lie. And he said... She even told him, "Your mom's okay. The man she's staying with is kind, and we'll and and we'll take care of her." Uh, oh, you took some letters. You ran away. So she's really giving him the whole, you know. There was a man. I think he was a thief, and you killed him. He's like, he fell. I didn't want to mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> but but the whole scene was to convince him that she's the real deal. That the alethiometer is true, uh, and he. He, you know, he's he's still grieving or whatever you want to call it, feeling super guilty about uh, uh, being the reason that guy died. And he's like, think about it every day. Um, PTSD. He definitely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could deal well with uh, killing or being the reason a guy died, whether he was <laughs> trying to cause me direct harm or not. And I'm a grown man, live much more life than Will. I don't think I'd be able to deal with that. Um. So yeah, so he he buys it. That thing only tells you the truth. She's like, yeah, not good, not bad, just the truth. So he accepts that his father's alive, and he's probably piecing things together. Like, oh shit, these guys are after these letters and breaking into my house, and and all this kind of stuff. Uh. The alethiometer told him, we need to find him. And Will's like, I don't know who to trust. Lyra's like, I don't either. The people I thought were safe weren't. Turned out to be, you know, pretty pretty shitty people. Uh, so they realize they can trust each other and that they're, you know, I'm not going to give you away to anyone. She promises them that. And... She's like, I've done that before, but I betrayed someone, and she's, you know, she's thinking about Roger. But they have their moment at the bench. Anything more to that scene that I, that I missed? I think that's kind of the gist of it. They sit no. at their bench, and the end, the end of it is they trust each other, and he believes her and and it and the the, the alethiometer. Yeah. No, oh, and I think that. That little mini arc of the last two episodes finally got closed with them establishing that trust, and it's like mission complete. You now have an ally. Yeah, yeah. You have gained a reputation with Will Perry. <laughs> Your relationship no is dear. friendly. 
plus 250 points. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, next we have Mary explaining to Oliver, I think his name is Payne, uh, the other scientist on her team, about Lyra and how exquisite and extraordinary and wow. And all of how she made the thing. She's explaining how she made the thing that they do professionally, you know, uh, uh, better than they could ever dream. And he goes, yeah, but what about our funding? <laughs> like, man, did you just not hear me? Like, imagine if you're a cancer researcher and you're like, this little girl showed up with this vial. She poured it on like a tumor. The tumor screamed and died. <laughs> right? And he's like, yeah, but what about funding? <laughs> Did you not just hear me say the tumor screamed and keeled over and died right in front of me? Um, my issue with this, right, is that in 1996 or in 2000 when this book was released, I think 2000, it was believable to, to that she doesn't necessarily all she can do is tell Oliver about Lyra and what she did there is no way in the context of 2020 in the context of university backed supercomputer dark matter machine uh, super dark matter computer does that thing not record the results of, of each test she can't go back and go look at the res- look what this thing did like it doesn't have an auto save <laughs> right like well no Lyra snatched the nodes off and uh, it's like when you like when you pull out your USB without safely doing the thing safely remove USB <laughs> she corrupted the file <laughs> and you know it's only super super dark matter computers can only do so much it was it's ridiculous the whole thing should have been recorded recorded like for real for real but at the very least the software itself should have all the results of all the pictures and all the the images that Lyra made so she could go look at what she did she built that so I had I had a bit of an issue but they have to keep Oliver skeptical and a bit a bit aloof and she looks at him like she's going to come back tomorrow and you'll see for yourself have a little faith <laughs> and he goes let's leave the faith out of it should we let's just get a good night's mm-hmm. sleep he thinks she's cuckoo and again yeah. she should have some kind of uh, results or, or, or a printout of the th- mm, I just found it hard to believe <laughs> that there wasn't something that she could pull up to show him that would make him a little more convinced but the story is he's not convinced and they have to stick to that next we get Father McPhail he's uh I don't know praying it looks like uh, in his room uh it's the tall guy Father Garrett with the beetle demon and I didn't understand why Father McPhail looked so startled when Father Garrett came in uh, but Father Garrett explains we we all we you know a lot of us support your uh, support this father you know and your proposal has passed and been accepted we just need your signature the witches need to be cleansed so McPhail signs the document and and the uh, the other uh, the other priest leaves 
I'm praying for your success at the vote this evening. And Father McPhail is clearly having, you know, this isn't a decision he takes lightly. But when the guy leaves, he then Neil goes back to his praying position next to the most weird, the weirdest window. It's like a, yeah, I don't know what this break in the, yeah. So he kneels back down and he puts his hand over the candle and lowers it. So he's like, uh, he says, he said, it had to be, it has to be done. Uh, it's, it all had to be done. He's like trying to convince himself maybe. And his demon Octavia is like, yes, a necessary sin, but still a sin. Like convincing him. She's like, we have to atone. We will atone for it. Put your hand out. And he like just burns his hand on the candle. It's like, what happened to flogging yourself? Like in, like in, uh, uh, Dan Brown. I don't know if it was Angels and Demons or the first one, Da Vinci Code. But the priest just flogs the crap out of himself. At least you can put a shirt on and a jacket to cover that up. Like, you need your hands, buddy. You can't just have your hands all wrapped up and people are like, what, what, what happened to your hands? <laughs> uh, and we get Mrs. Coulter. She goes, they're, they're holding Thurold, uh, uh, Azriel's manservant. He was captured on the mountain during the uh, during the uh, invasion, I guess. Assault on the mountain by the magisterium. She's like, I gave you all the chance to escape, Thurold. You know. Then he, he, she tells him, I think Lyra's in danger, and if Azriel knows, you must tell me. He tells her, Lyra came to the lab. She's like, when? He's like, she, she traveled all that way to find him. He was going to he played this perfectly too at the actor cut her but she and then her uh, Coulter's is horrified he's like and use the energy to create a window instead he used the kitchen boy uh, he never mentioned the prophecy and then Coulter's like where did where did she go and she's like she went to save the boy and so Coulter puts two and two and two together and is like she followed Azrael through the window she's in a whole nother world and Thorold's looking at her like probably <laughs> and she goes thank you Thorold and she leaves and leaves him in his prison his little terrible cell with a wood bed with a thin blanket <laughs> it's like my god that guy's back and spine is gonna be I guess they say laying on the flat surface is pr- pretty helpful for your back actually yeah. Also, Mrs. Coulter has, I don't know if Ruth Wilson practiced or if that's her natural walk, but she has a walk. Whoo! Like just the way her shoulders sway. And, mm. Then they show one of the airships because they said the airships are ready and they're loading up incendiary b- barrels. And it was sort of like the Godfather, like when he's at the christening. And meanwhile, all the hits are going out. He's, all kinds of buildings are being blown up. Dons are being assassinated in, in restaurants and shootouts are happening. Uh, so they all come in. And I, the, the priests make their... I don't know what they were doing. Uh, the vote was in, so I don't know if this was an, another vote. But they do some kind of formal vote. I don't know, for who should get the cardinalship. 
Meanwhile, the airships are uh, loading up all their high-explosive incendiary uh, barrels, and they—it's st- the frame you get. You see at least a dozen airships, and they all have <laughs> dozens and dozens of incendiary buckets or, or barrels bombs, and they completely incinerate which island. I don't know what it's called, but they destroy that place and turn it into into cinders. Oof! And the way they shot it, that bird's eye view of those bombs falling, and then the wide shot of it just being on fi- fire, interspersed with uh, uh, Car- uh, Father McPhail becoming the cardinal and everybody kissing his hand, and it was totally. Uh, except Father McPhail has a look on his face of, oh my god, what have I done? In The Godfather, he was totally like, mm-hmm, killed all those sons of bitches. <laughs> Father McPhail at least sort of has some kind of, you know, he feels some kind of way. And all the witches are just being displaced and watching their home burn. And Seraphina's that's not running out of her nose. I mean, it's a it's a really sad scene of them watching watching their their home island be completely obliterated. Kaiza is watching on. I, I wish you'd have turned to Ruta Scotty's demon like, see what you did, you dumbass. But but they're not as petty as me. <laughs> Next we get we get Mrs. Coulter visiting Father McPhail now. Cardinal McPhail. He's in his full cardinal regalia that the, the, the fat old cardinal used to wear. So it's like I don't know, it's a snug fit. It's not I guess they re, yeah. they tailored it to his size. They didn't make him wear it. His daddy's robe. Uh mm. but she tells she gives him the what for. She tells him that this is a curse and a web of my design in which you are both the spider and the fly. And she's, she's like, I've had to bite my lip while you all parade around concocting your feral, your fearful little schemes, daring to judge me. All the while, there's a myriad of universes out there that you could only hope to fathom. He's like, careful, you forget yourself. She's like, I forget myself? The golden monkey grunts. He's <laughs> like, no. He's like, I have a very good memory, and since you need the past to remain buried, you'll turn the other cheek while I'll take what I want. <laughs> Where are you going? He asks. She's like, I'm leaving. He asks to find Azrael. <laughs> she chuckles and goes what I'm searching for is much more valuable infinitely more valuable and just leaves him there literally with his lip quivering good luck Hugh so you learn his friend Hugh McPhail <laughs> she called that motherfucker Hugh <laughs> goodbye Hugh This the newly crowned cardinal she called Hugh <laughs> and then she strides out with her power walk even her monkey had a swag to him in this episode. More of a swag to him, I should say. He always got a bit of a, you know, evil swag. And that's how the episode ended with, with, uh, with Seraph or not Seraphine with 
Mrs. Coulter giving him the business. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. Great second half of the episode, as I said, which which balances out uh, <laughs> some of the stuff I had in the first uh, in the first half. We did get an email uh, this week. Friday emailed us, and she titled her email "Don't Open Yet." Because she knew I hadn't, she knew I hadn't watched episode two, so she didn't want me to spoil myself. So she was being a pal. All right, so we'll wrap uh, wrap things up on Friday's email. If I could uh, bring it up. Oh, we got an email from Doc Bruce too. Up, oh, that's about episode three, so we'll save that. Oops. Yep, we'll save that. Doc's in the future. Yeah. Episode three, Coulter Scoresby. I, I did see the preview where she had him, like, held. So, oh, yeah, that was pretty rough. Okay. So we'll get to that next week. Friday, she chimes in. Hi, Trav and Rich. Am I the only person who is slightly disappointed we're not going to get the McPhail Coulter show for a few more episodes? I thought he looked a little forlorn and jealous when he asked if she was going to see Azrael when she left him. Absolutely loving this season so far. I'm glad they're filling out the Magisterium's role more. Yeah, instead of just being the brooding, you know... Church that searches stuff. Yeah, they were kind of one-dimensional in the book and showed up when... When they showed up, stuff got real and intense, and but they didn't have personalities they were again one dimensional in a lot of aspects uh, but there was so much around them that they didn't really need to be as intricate and well thought out and well well uh, uh, fleshed out uh, fleshed out as characters here you do and I thought I thought the jealousy was the leaving part like he's trapped now in a sense not that he could have left and gone somewhere, but he's now he's the cardinal. He can't go nowhere. He might have all the power as as far as the magisterium, but he can't just leave, leave even if even right. though he's the cardinal. But yes, he's as much a prisoner as he is leader. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But Friday is is right though, or also with the the Azrael part. Like I didn't think of it. Like oh yeah. He likes to pretend that he's super pure and all that, but every time Mrs. Coulter comes into the room and starts getting close and whispering in his ear, you can tell, you know, uh, uh, gotta sh- shove down those desires, shove down those proclivities. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm absolutely loving the season so far, but. Episode one was good. The second half of episode two was great, especially the Mary stuff. Uh, gosh, she's so she is good. I'm gonna be doting on her and loving on her every time she shows up. Um, but uh, I, I, I doubt you're the only person that's disappointed Friday, and and that we're gonna have to wait a little while to get more McPhail and Coulter. They are really good together. 
Uh, yeah, their, their chemistry on screen's been fantastic. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean they're good in they're good in the in the in the books, but again because they don't give the ma- folks in the magisterium either even Father McPhail, you know Father Gomez, he was just he was just a gunman literally. Yeah, he was just super focused and one-dimensional, did one thing. Father McFett, yeah, they all just were very basic one-dimensional characters, and I can't wait for them to to give us give us more Coulter and Hugh, <laughs> Hugh and Marissa. Hmm. So yeah, so that wraps up uh, another another episode from us. We'll be back next week with episode three recaps and reviews uh if you want to contact us and be like friday and doc bruce send us an email at ddustpodcast at gmail.com send us a tweet at ddustpodcast or you can drop us a voicemail if you are so inclined at uh i i know our voicemail line by heart uh the the if you wherever you found this uh, uh, podcast, it is labeled <laughs> in the oh show in the show notes. I, I say this every week on the show. I give out the the uh, uh, the voicemail and the email stuff, and all of a sudden, I, I don't I don't know. All right, here we go. Four one five seven eight seven five two two nine. Once again, 415-787-5229. Now you're obligated to drop us a voicemail just so uh, just so I don't feel so bad about butchering that segment here. But yeah, those are all the ways to contact us. Please do one or all of them. And there's, 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 it's never too much. Uh, so yeah, so until next time. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, emailers. Um... And thanks. Oh, that was a voicemail for our de- our chaos siege. I was gonna say thanks, Doc Bruce, for the voicemail. But no, thanks anyway. But you know, it wasn't for for the uh, his dark materials. But yes, contact us, and uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Podcast is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II, and is produced by Cameron Hawkins for the South Congress Podcast Network.